Hello and welcome to another episode of uh, Wannabe Entrepreneur. Today I'm speaking with uh, Eva, Eva dos Santos. Hey, Eva. Hi, Tiago. Thank you so much for accepting uh, this invitation. Thank you I'm, for inviting me. Yeah, no worries. I'm uh, very excited to learn more about you and your business. Uh, I know that you are um, working on a, on a business called the Mint Girls that uh, tries to uh, create uh, clothes for girls with, with drugs and astronauts, but, but you'll speak about that in, in a minute. Uh, yeah, the, today I, I would love to speak about it, to understand your background and, and to see what's the, um, yeah, what, what's the future of that project and, and what are the challenges. And uh, I would start by asking you uh, to introduce yourself and uh, your business. Yes, I would love to do that. Thank you. So I'm Eva, I'm Austrian. I moved around quite a lot during my studies, uh, was studying in different countries and started to work then in, the, in a corporate environment for seven years, was very happy there, um, discovered a lot of different uh, functions. And then I met my husband during that time, uh, we had our first daughter and I realized that I do want to work on something that is closer to my heart in the sense that a topic that I really feel passionate about. So after some time thinking about what I really want to work on, I founded my first company, which was a, a tech startup, a, an online platform marketplace for parents. After about two years, I handed it over, sold parts of the business and um, was thinking, okay, what's next? What do I want to do? Yeah. And for a long time, I already had this thought of mint girls, not completely clear, but there was a thought of, it's very stereotypical in the sense that you have not only clothes, clothes, books, toys, you have the boys section and the girls section. Yeah, and they are very particular on the topics in the sense that the girls have the princesses, the fairy tales, the unicorns nowadays, and the boys have the robots and the trucks and the astronauts. And at a young age, kids don't make the difference. They don't think in, I'm a girl, I love princesses and cannot like robots. Mm -hmm. Young kids want to experience new things, are curious, want to learn. So they don't mind if it's a rocket ship or a truck or a castle. They want to play with things, they want to explore things. And I could see that very clearly with my, I now have two daughters. Mm -hmm. They want to play with whatever we put in front of them and some toys are more exciting than others but it, it's not the thing of i'm a girl i don't play with rocket chips when my daughter asked me about a t-shirt or a clothing item with an astronaut on it was very hard to find something so i had to go to the boys section to get it which at a young age is absolutely fine but the older they get you would not believe it, but clothes for kids, simple t-shirts for kids, already at the age of two, 
are mm -hmm. different. Sizes are different. So girls have a slimmer fit, boys course, have yeah. longer arms, and kids realize that very quickly. So my older daughter is now four, and there are other kids that come to her and say, hey, you're wearing a t-shirt for boys. Uh, yeah. Even though you can go to the boys section and buy clothes, at a certain age, those kids then also know that it's a boys t-shirt. And I wanted to do something about that and help those kids that want to wear t-shirts or dresses with astronauts on, mm -hmm. that they do have the choice. Yeah, it's 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 crazy that now that you that you speak about it, it's absolutely true, and it's something that, you know, I grew up in that world. I don't even question it, but uh, yeah, that's true. Now, if I think about it, uh, when you go buy clothes, uh, you are already limited by the options, and if you don't have options with uh, with trucks, uh, or uh, I don't know, even for 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 men, it's the same, right? If men wanna. Oh or kids uh, want to dress up with uh, ballerinas or something i don't know it's it's uh, it's not an option it's 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 a great a great uh, mission that you have there and we'll talk about more about the business in a bit but i i want to understand a little bit also about you about your background uh, what what did you study i um did um business studies so i have a master in management i was mm -hmm. studying in paris that's also where I started then to work in the corporate environment and uh, yeah, met a lot of interesting people there. What, what company was it in the beginning? Uh, Zurich Insurance. So ah, interesting sure. insurance. Yeah. So, so you study business and you're, you're, in, you're in Paris. Uh, tell me about your entrepreneurial passion, your entrepreneurial background. Like, is this something that it started from a young age? Uh, do you have like family members that are also entrepreneurs? Why did you, you know, decide to go through through this path? Um, I think it's more a mindset in a way. Um, being an entrepreneur for me means jumping on opportunities, doing everything you can to make it work, and being flexible enough to pivot if needed. Um, I do have family members that are entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. uh, which, as I said, I think is really the mindset part where you either you grow up with it or you have it in you or you can also learn it, but it's definitely something that you need to be comfortable with. Yeah. And uh, during my studies, I definitely met a lot of people also that had that mindset and you need to be okay with taking risks and being comfortable with that and that's definitely something i'm i'm someone that is very ambitious and, and focused but yeah. i'm okay to pivot and to change direction if needed and i think that's very crucial when you're an entrepreneur to just make sure you are going in the right direction and if you see it's not the right direction that you then change yeah. it and, and it's flexible yeah. exactly yeah, yesterday I was talking also with with someone here in uh, for the podcast, and he he told me that he was uh, comfortable with not being comfortable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, I think that's, that describes a lot. That and um, w why did you decided to go study abroad? Uh, I was always very interested in languages and other cultures, and I felt that by 
uh, going abroad and, and meeting an international crowd. That's mm -hmm. how I would get that. And I felt that I would get a lot back from that. Um, I was very curious to learn about other cultures. And I do think you learn a lot more when you live in the country or with people from different countries. Yeah. So it was a very, yeah, I was curious and I thought, why not, right? Yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, I, I'm asking this because I, I feel exactly the same, right? I, I, I'm Portuguese living in Germany. I've met people from all over the world. Can you pinpoint one or two top things that you have learned from this experience living abroad? Something that, I don't know, a, a new perspective or, or something that you didn't have back in, back in Austria? Um, I think the more people you meet and the more diverse people you meet, the more you learn to be open and listen. Mm -hmm. There's so many different stories. There's so many different experiences and paths how to get to something people it's not black and white and yeah. to understand that and be open about that and in every situation consider that there is another perspective and there is not only one solution but you can have different ways of getting to the same or to a similar result and go away from this this is right this is what i know this is right and this is something i don't know so it cannot be right i think that mindset changes unconsciously i totally i totally agree i i'm just i was just nodding along while, while you're speaking because I, that's exactly it and i, I met you know i living in, in portugal uh you are bounded by by what you see in the news and uh And that's how you know about your other countries, right? And uh, I met, for instance, a lot of people from India and uh, they have such a different way of living, but also makes sense. And uh, I totally agree. It really opens your uh, your mind and your perspectives. And I, I really believe that everyone should do this at least for one year or two. Yeah, that would be helpful to many people, I believe. Yes. Um, so, so you worked for, for seven years. And you, you decided to, to start your first company. What is the name? Uh, it was Kalinda. Kalinda. So it, uh, it was taken over by uh, another company from Germany. Okay. And uh, it was a great experience starting your own company for the first time. There are so many things you don't know and you need to figure out. And you learn on the way. Yeah. So when I now started my second company, there were many things that I could already progress a lot quicker because mm -hmm. I made the experience once and I knew where to focus on and what to make do first and what should be a priority in the first place. Those uh, things, you can talk to many people and learn from them, but when you go through it, it's still, it's you learn thing. differently. Yes. And uh, this uh, this company, I know that uh, we are supposed to, to speak about Mint Girls, of course, but I still want to learn a little bit about Kalinda because sure. it's, it's a tech company. And uh, what did it do? So it was a marketplace for parents mm -hmm. to find activities for kids. So here in Zurich, you didn't know what to do with your kids on Sunday morning. You went into on our website. You could uh, pick the age of the kids. If you want to do something indoor or outdoors, more sports, language, culture, and then you would get the list of things that you could do today 
including how to book it, if it needs booking or not, reviews from others, wow. and so on. And That's super cool. It came out of a personal problem because yeah. what do you do on a Sunday when it's raining and it still needs to move? And uh, it was a great experience. I met many entrepreneurs or small companies uh -huh. that um, were doing those events and uh, workshops for kids. And uh, it's amazing how many people have an idea, just start it, work on it and make it work. Yeah, and that was a very cool experience. It's always super good also for us entrepreneurs to surround ourselves with other entrepreneurs because they understand better what we are going through. Absolutely. So, yeah. And, um, but, so your background is business and you start a tech company. How? How did you do this? Yeah, um, I was um, already in my corporate job, a project manager for uh softwares and, and systems and, and platforms so i was implementing them on the business side always working closely with a let's say an it project manager um so i do have a lot of understanding how to prepare or how to work with the actual software engineers uh, doing all the preparation giving them the the requirements the instructions on, on how you want it to be built so That experience I gained in my corporate uh, job, and right. from there I I could build on that. I wasn't the one developing it. I still did some uh, software courses to learn right. how yeah. to code and how to write simple uh, commands, mm -hmm. so that I do have a bit more experience also on how things work together and how. Um, Yeah, how to talk to yeah. a software engineer to to be a bit closer. And that's uh, definitely crucial to to have that know-how. Uh, I believe that you, of course, you don't need to actually know how to code, but understanding and speaking and understanding the language, that's definitely an asset. Absolutely, and, uh, and know which questions to ask. Because, yeah. as I said before, there's not only one solution to a, a problem. And the more you understand what questions to ask and, and how things work together, the more you can steer it in a direction that you feel comfortable with and that you want to go. Yeah, yeah, makes makes a, a lot of sense. And uh, you, you said that the company was sold uh, to a German company. How many users did you have uh, when it was sold? Was it making money? What was the status? So we did have, um, it was a Zurich local uh, company. Mm -hmm. We did have a lot of uh, daily users and a lot of signed up users. It was just before COVID that we uh, handed it over. So, or beginning of COVID. So uh, then the numbers crashed because as you can imagine, course, yeah. the content was there anymore. Yeah. There were no events, no open museums anymore um so it, i guess it was a very tough time for the company that took it over although they when they took the decision they knew that covid was happening so their strategy was to build it up on their end take everything right. on on their end and then when covid is over and, and the situation is normal again that they um integrated mm -hmm. we um did how many users did you have in your peak Uh, so we had around, uh, I think, 12,000 users a month. Wow, okay. 
um, and then we had uh, sales with um, on newsletters, uh, promotions, mm -hmm. but also sponsored content, which is kind of the areas where you would make most of the money on a platform. Wow, that was a big company, and uh, it's uh, super exciting. T tell me one thing: um, how did it feel? to to be in the tech world because i know because I, i'm from that world that it's a male dominated world uh did you feel any friction trying to start a tech company as a woman or, or not so much so in my corporate environment i was already one of the few women in that area mm. and often i was one of the few women in a room i never had a problem with that i think it's For me, it's not about the gender, it's about how people treat each other. And that doesn't necessarily have something to do with gender, um, but uh, how do you respect the other person or not? Yeah. And if you have the respect of someone, I believe you can also, like, it doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man, and you just need to be comfortable in your shoes and need to be comfortable speaking up. I think. That is often a challenge. Some women don't feel comfortable speaking up. Mm -hmm. And if someone talks over them to not just say, hey, I'm speaking now, let me finish uh, yeah. what I would say. And, and it's those small things where then, as a woman, you make it more difficult for yourself. Yeah. And um, of course, that's also the environment. I'm not saying it's on the woman. It's, um, it's the whole environment that you're in. But I never had a problem in my corporate environment. Right. And then when I moved to a startup uh, environment, I it's not something that I would constantly think, oh, I'm a woman, do I fit here, is this the right thing for me? I just knew I want to develop this and I want to get there. Yeah. And there is a great um, network here in Switzerland, in Zurich, for entrepreneurs. And you have a lot of people that you can reach out to And again, there, it's about how comfortable do you feel reaching out to others? And yeah. I never had a problem just approaching people that I don't know, saying, hey, I know you're doing something in the same area. Would you mind sharing your experience? Or yeah. could you give me a tip here or there? And the more open and the more comfortable you are with that, mm -hmm. the less challenges you have than also be recognized as a woman in that area. Yeah. It's very interesting. I, I'm also thinking now with the, another interview that I had with Edith. She's also starting a startup, and she said exactly the same. Uh, that, that was exactly the, their words. Don't be afraid to, to go out and explore and, and speak with people and ask for help. Uh, so there's clearly here a pattern that's that's super cool. And um, so, you you sold this company, right? And uh, Did you start immediately after that thinking about uh, Mint Girls? So I thought about Mint Girls already um, during my time at uh, Kalinda. Mm -hmm. um, and I started to look into it, but then uh, other things came up on the Kalinda side, so I put it on hold. Right. The idea was there for, for a long time, since my daughter is at an age where she can she knows what she wants in terms of uh, clothes and toys and books. Yeah. There is this idea of there is not enough 
on that topic and you've mentioned it before it's not only for girls it's also for boys yeah you don't find colorful t-shirts for boys or with flowers or yeah. with unicorns there are boys that love unicorns especially at a younger age yeah unicorns are, are amazing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and uh, i think it, it goes both directions i mean for me it was uh, i have two girls so that's where i want to start but yeah. uh, there is also more potential than on the other side but uh, going back to your question, yes, I did think about it already before, and then uh, it took some time to figure out what do I want to do, how do I want to continue, do I want to mm. go back to a corporate job or not. Um, I did try going back to a, a employee status and discovered for myself, I just want to go with this idea and try it out and make it work. Yeah, because... Uh... I, I cannot imagine you coming from Kalinda, an exciting company where you basically probably one one of the biggest challenges in your professional career, and then going back to a professional like to a corporate job. Uh, didn't that scare you, with uh, having two kids, and oh, uh, and going to another startup? Wasn't it something that scared you, you and uh, your your partner? In a way, yes, but I do think you need to be very realistic about it and understand the risk that you're taking. Um, I think everyone that starts something new where they don't know what they get into are scared a little bit. But the excitement was still bigger than being scared about the unknown and and not knowing if it will work. And I think it's always important to make a plan and say, okay, I strongly believe in this. I do believe that this is going to work and that this is something that I can make work. But what if not? How mm. long do I give myself? How long do I have before I take right. a decision? Yeah. And it, it need, doesn't need to be a plan that is set in stone that you never change. I do think, especially when you have a family, there needs to be a communication between you and your partner mm-hmm. to just make sure you're both on the same page. And you both understand the risks. And my husband also had a startup, so he understands it. Mm. So just to to make sure you're both on the same page and you both feel comfortable with it. Because as you mentioned, when you have a family, it's not only yourself. It's also your family that needs to feel comfortable with that. But you know what is really inspiring for me when I hear your story is that normally people use family as an, not an excuse, but as a blocker not to not to take risks and i love the fact that you use your family as a source of ideas right because all of your ideas or these, at least the startups we spoke about they, they come from your kids mm-hmm. personal problems and i do believe that this is the right starting point because then you understand the problems mm-hmm. and a lot of my friends have the same problems so I do have a certain base already where I can talk to people and understand if this is something that they would be willing to pay yeah. for or use or, or kind of having this uh, customer base already set yeah. helps a lot to, to figure out if this is the right thing to do because you might have an idea. If it's not your own problem, it's probably a very theoretical idea. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then you didn't test it. And I think a startup, you need to test the idea before you start it. Yeah. How did you test uh, Mint Girls then? 
oh, I um, very soon I talked to people without having anything, and the idea was very uh, resonated with a lot of people. And then right. very quickly, I hired a designer to make a first set of uh, designs for my clothes mm-hmm. and sent them around. And I think as an entrepreneur, this is so important. Yeah. Don't hide. Don't try to develop the perfect product and then go out. No. Go out as quickly as possible. Yeah. Talk mm-hmm. to as many people as possible. It's The idea is such a small part of your success. Yes. <laughs> and people can steal your idea. They still need to make it work quicker and better than you are yeah. doing it. And I think that was crucial. Talking to people, showing them the designs at a very early stage. I have a, a huge group that gives me feedback and even helps me design the design, uh, the, decide on the design. Yeah. So I have like four versions and I ask them, which one would you prefer? And then I have a preference, but if it's only me and I get the feedback from 50 people that they like another design, this is how you develop the product. Very simple. <laughs> Very. Yeah. We have a WhatsApp group or I do uh, send around a survey, but this is how you get to something that not only you like, but a more bigger crowd likes and is then also willing to spend money on. And but, but who is this crowd? Is it like your friends? Uh, is it people that you met on, uh, on some kind of social network? Uh, who is this crowd? It's a completely mixed crowd because I do think this is how you get the best result. Mm-hmm. But how did you get them? Um, so I do have uh, a lot of friends that have the same problem. Mm. People that I know that I know don't necessarily have the same opinion that I do. People that I worked with before that I stayed in contact via LinkedIn. Um, because it is important to not only have your closest friends and family there. Exactly. Because they will have a similar opinion like you do. And I think it's important to diversify that and get opinions from different people, different backgrounds, different nationalities. Because if you want mm-hmm. to have that crowd and also as your customers, then you need to test with a similar crowd. But did you create a what? So did you create this WhatsApp group with, with all of these people? Did you just like create a group and edit all of them? Was it how it went? So I have a WhatsApp group with some people. I did send out some service to people also in random Facebook groups with parents to get feedback from people that don't know mm-hmm. me and don't know the idea. So yeah. that was a, a very uh, helpful point. On LinkedIn, I get a lot of feedback because that is also, I think a lot of the people that will be or are my customers are on LinkedIn. So you need to figure out where is your customer? Where can you reach them? Yeah. And for me, LinkedIn is definitely one of them because often those topics are also uh, important to people that interact on LinkedIn, that build their groups mm-hmm. on LinkedIn, like having this um, openness to uh, to talk to other people that are in the workforce and, and women in the workforce. So I think you have a lot of the um, customers that you n- need to find in one place. Like, where mm-hmm. is my target market? Where can I dig into the existing networks and then take the most out of it. For me, that was definitely LinkedIn and then Facebook for uh, random people that I don't know yeah. and that don't know me. And the first impression from uh, from this uh, 
little community that you created was that it was a great idea and uh, they liked it and they would buy it or i mean definitely not all of them i think it is a topic where you need there there were many people that said oh my my daughter loves princesses she doesn't she's not interested in astronauts Mm -hmm. and that's fine i i don't want to convert everyone to love astronauts and trucks not at all i think what i could see is that there were a lot of parents that were super frustrated with exactly what i felt Mm -hmm. not having the choice and saying oh my girl loves that so much but she feels it's not for her because we cannot find clothes there is no dress with an astronaut on it and that encouraged me i don't need 100 percent of people that see me love me what i need is a couple or a group of people that think this is idea this is an idea that i really believe in and i want to and I, i can believe because my girls are asking for those things exactly and that's the um the mindset that i appreciate and of course when you ask two out of 300 strangers is this something that you would get into if some of them say no i'm sorry my girl loves unicorns that's fine yeah i don't yeah. need 100 right gotcha no that makes makes little sense and and I I really like your approach of first trying to see if there's a need for it. Uh my my question here is that you said that you don't need a big group of people you just need to see that there's some interest but what is the threshold what is the number of people that you need to have uh to actually know that okay this is an idea that I should explore because I guess if only one person liked it maybe maybe you don't have a business there right so did you have like this in mind how many people need to like it? So I think there, there is not the, the one number that I can give you and say, if you have that many people, then it's a go. I think there is also a risk that if you ask theoretical questions, so do you like this design? Would you pay for it that much? You get a lot of answers of, from people that then don't would not act on it in the sense, would you be willing to pay 49 francs, mm-hmm. so 45 euros, I think, yeah. for a dress with an astronaut on it? Here's the dress. A lot of people would say, oh, I like the design for you. Yeah, yeah, I would pay that. But then when you actually put the bill in front of them, they're yeah. like, uh, no, actually I not, don't. Yeah. So what I did then to not only have people tell me that they like it, be sure that they are also willing to pay for it, I started a Kickstarter campaign. Right. Which is, mm-hmm. before you start producing, you ask people to buy your products. And it's not actually buying, it's like they give you money and get a reward. But to simplify, mm-hmm. people buy your product before they get it and they know, okay, I buy the product now, which was in July, I will only get the product in October. But I'm okay with that. Yeah. Because I know that this is how a Kickstarter campaign works. Yeah. And this is how I made sure that people are actually willing to pay for it and, and understand that as a small startup, you will never get to the same prices as you have for the big uh, companies, but the quality is a lot better. I'm working with a, 
amazing company in Portugal. They are specialized in children's wear. Mm -hmm. They are very focused on organic products, on sustainable production. So what what did you need to have uh, prepared for for this Kickstarter campaign? Because I know that you asked uh, roughly, I think, uh, 12,000 francs, right? Yeah. So like, uh, I guess, 11,500 euros, something like this, I don't know. And um, tell me, how did you come up with this number? And uh, if you already had uh, reached out to the company in Portugal to, to make the fabrics, uh, what, what did you have to prepare before yeah. actually launching the campaign? So having to, I think that's very personal because there is no rule. So what I did, I had the company. I They had sent me some samples of fabric just for me to feel the fabric to see other products, if the quality is right. They sent me a sample, not in my print, but in a white color so I can see, okay, are they producing something that I think is the quality that I want to? Mm-hmm. And I did that with um, four companies in Portugal, just to get a feel and be able to uh, compare so that I right. make sure I do have the best quality. And uh, sorry, I have to ask, why in Portugal only? <laughs> Um, so, uh, one part is definitely, uh, I feel closer to the culture, my husband is Portuguese, mm. so that definitely helps. But then also when you look around for high quality um, fabric and, and textile industry, you get very quickly to Portugal. Of course yeah. you have the Asian market, but I did not feel comfortable going to Asia, not knowing any company there and not being able to travel there because of Corona. Right. So I did not want to risk that then a child is making the clothes for my children. Mm, yeah. And in Europe, you do have another couple other countries, but I just felt Portugal is known for high quality textile products. Yeah. So you you got the textile, you, you, you've picked your company, you said, okay, I want to uh, work with them. How did you come up with this amount of this? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I, work, I decided to work with them. They gave me a, a price for a certain amount of uh, products uh, made. Mm-hmm. And then I I put a part of that on the Kickstarter because if I sell this part together with my own investment, I can uh, produce the first batch. I did not want to make a profit out of the Kickstarter, but just make sure, first of all, to test the market, but mm-hmm. also to have a, some, a small part of the production already sold and knowing that there are people that will uh, buy it. So yeah. that was a, an amount that was a, a portion of the production cost. What okay. I then had to do is make some prototypes and companies only make prototypes for you once you pay them the full amount of the production. Mm-hmm. So the prototypes were handmade by friends and myself. Wow, okay. Without much experience on uh, how to sew things. For <laughs> me, it was a bit difficult. So I had the help of a lot of friends that uh, would do that. And that's also the part that is important for a Kickstarter. Pictures that you see are prototypes. Like people know that and they're okay with that. And I think Kickstarter is a lot of work to prepare to make sure everything is there. But then it also helps you, as I mentioned a couple of times already, to to test the market market, to make sure you have the, the validation and you know where yeah. What designs people like and where you need to focus. And what is the minimum 
order that you have to make to these textile companies? And it depends on the company. So some are producing rather small batches, some are bigger patches. Also, if you're a recurring customer, they might do smaller batches if you do the same design. But mm -hmm. normally it's like between, I would say 200 and 400 pieces per design per color. Okay. So, so you said that this uh, 12,000 euros were for a part of it, so you had to actually input the other uh, money yourself, right? I don't know how it is in Germany, but here in Switzerland, when you found a company, you need to have a starting capital. Mm -hmm. So you need, in order to uh, register a company, you need yeah. to put in a certain amount. So that was the amount that I already had put in. And then uh, together with the 12,000, it covers the, the production cost. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So, how long did it take for you to prepare the Kickstarter campaign? Um, start to finish, five months. Wow, five months. Yeah. To but I mean, to prepare, uh, so did you launch only after five months or is it five months included with the, with the campaign? The campaign only runs for a month. So, it, oh, okay. it did take five months to launch it because you need the prototypes, you need to talk to the production company before to know that what they can do so that you're not selling something that is not feasible. Mm -hmm. um, you need to do marketing, which if you don't have a lot of money for the marketing or you don't want to spend a lot of money for the marketing, you need to build up your um, newsletter, mm -hmm. recipient list. You need to talk to influencers. So I did a lot of promotions also with influencers on mm -hmm. Instagram. That did that either for free or in exchange for one piece of clothing when it's mm -hmm. ready. Um, not knowing that they will get anything, right? Because yeah. the campaign wouldn't have been successful. So I, I had to talk to a lot of people to get there. I, I did some interviews. I reached out to newspapers. Yeah. So all of that wow. takes time to prepare. And work. A lot of work, right? A lot of... Yeah, yeah but that's what it is, right? And yeah. these the campaigns, if you think about it, more than half are not successful. Yeah. So if you put in the work, you want to make sure it's 100% so that it is successful because yeah. just so much work that goes into there that you do want to make sure it yeah. is. So you, you reach out to influencers and did your marketing even before starting the campaign or during the campaign? You need to start before, definitely, because during the campaign, it's too late. Mm. Uh, if you don't reach a big part of your total goal in the first couple of days, the campaign is most likely not to be successful. Mm. So I have reached 8,000 in the first two days. Wow. And that was definitely the, success, the uh, deciding factor because many people, if they see something like this, they might like the idea, but they might not feel comfortable investing in someone they don't know. Yeah. And a product, they, if someone doesn't know me, they need to trust that I'm able to deliver and I'm trustworthy. To yeah. deliver what they are paying for, because there is no guarantee. Yeah. So in that sense, it's helpful to have. If they see, okay, there are already a hundred people that back her, that believe in her, I feel more comfortable doing the same. Yeah. And I, I, and you you reach twenty five percent of your goal in three hours, right? In the first three yeah. hours, that's absurd. It's amazing because 
you know, I, I've done my also a Kickstarter campaign myself. I just it it was I cannot even compare with yours. I just only asked for 500 euros uh, for for a music album as well. And uh, for me, it was I, I didn't prepare, so I just like launched it, and then I was basically nagging people and sharing on social media until yeah, I got. Uh, uh, but it makes much more sense the the way you, you did it. I, I think it's also the amount and, and how much money you're asking for. Yeah, um, of course, yeah. Obviously, like I did reach out to everyone I knew and uh, everyone that I could think about that uh, might like it. Did a lot of uh, communication on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn to get to that in the very beginning. And uh, I had a lot of um, reduced rewards, so reduced uh, products in the mm -hmm. first couple hours, which definitely helped to bring people early on. Yeah. What was your mo most successful marketing strategy? Um, LinkedIn, surprisingly. LinkedIn? Which I did not have on my radar in the beginning because yeah. um, I thought about Instagram and Facebook. But then a friend of mine started to post about about my company on on other posts that were talking about the topic. And thanks oh. to her, I started being more active on, on LinkedIn. And it was mind-blowing how many people came behind the idea and started also buying the product. Without, without paying any advertisement on LinkedIn, right? So this is just yeah. organic. Yes. Mm -hmm. You did a campaign for for uh, for a month and it worked out. So you got the full amount, right? Mm -hmm. What what happened next? So once you have the money from the Kickstarter campaign, you start producing the clothes. Mm -hmm. um, I visit the company to talk about the final uh, details. Then now I have to um, make each size. So I have uh, eleven sizes for kids from 2 to 12 mm -hmm. and I have to make sure that each size is according to the measurements that um, I want to have so that the, they're the right length and the right, right width. And the company is now on holidays which is quite, quite a common thing for textile companies in Portugal to be on holidays over The summer months. Yeah, August, away. forget about it, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So as of September, we'll start the production and then in October, I'll get the ready-made clothes. So now you, you also have to send the clothes to to the your backers, to your Kickstarter backers, right? Yeah. And then you, you're preparing everything and then you'll start selling. Like, w when do you predict to have everything like really ready to start selling? And end of September, is it? End October? of October. End That's of October. where we get the clothes. Yeah. So I can pre-sell before, but I think mm -hmm. the, the actual sales. And uh, it's interesting you mentioned the sending. That's something I definitely underestimated when I started this whole journey because sending products from Switzerland to Europe, you would think is not that difficult, but mm -hmm. it's a very difficult challenge. First of all, you need to register your company in the European Union. You need to pay taxes in the European Union. You need to pay custom fees coming mm -hmm. into Switzerland, going out of Switzerland. So there are many things that I was very surprised that there is no standard information, no place where I could just find everything I need to know about sending. So what are your like your main goal? Is, is it to make money or is it, uh, I mean, I mean, it's definitely both, right? Like you, you are also thinking about making money, but also obviously, you know, affecting the world and ha making the world a better place, right? 
so for me, if I can help the girls to feel that STEM topics are for them, so science, technology, engineering, and mm-hmm. mathematics, mm-hmm. I would be thrilled. Girls should feel that they can pick between princess yeah. unicorns and astronauts and trucks. Do you think that clothes influence how they uh, grow up and uh, what they come up to be? I think that that's part of it. Definitely. I don't think only clothes. I think it's a mix between clothes, toys, books, yeah. role models, people they see around them, how people talk to them. But I do think that it's not the big things. It's those small things all together. Because kids unconsciously take in any, everything that is happening around them. And if they see that there are no astronauts on a dress mm-hmm. or on their clothes, they think, oh, astronauts is for boys. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, how many of those girls will become astronauts? That's yeah. a different question, right? But just the mindset of the allowing mindset, them of to say, I could if I want to. Yeah. And then encourage their passions and their interests. I definitely believe that all those things make a difference. Yeah. No, and I I don't know why today I'm always thinking also about the other interviews and, and everything is resonating because I was speaking also with, with Christy in the, one of the previous interviews and he said that the reason why he became an engineer was because he saw in all the TV shows and he loved the engineers, he thought they, the engineers were the heroes. <laughs> and, um, and it's a perfect example on how, you know, this effect, you know, for me, I remember Buzz Lightyear, you know, as being one of, one of my heroes, the astronaut. And I didn't become an astronaut, but I became an engineer, a mm-hmm. uh, software engineer. And there's, of course, it's a male-dominated area. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's, um... But you know, the young kids, they don't see it as male or female-dominated. They see, of course, they see the role models and they see, um, in the books, often you have only boys when it's about engineers. And they're now more and more coming also for girls. But all those small things they realize and, and they take it in. I love it. Uh, yeah, it's super inspiring. And uh, one thing that is also inspiring is, is the fact that you want to do business, the, do this um, sustainable clothing, uh, which is something that touches, you know, a, a lot close to my heart because I'm also having a project to, with a climate change app. And, uh, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know, I, I feel that like, there's this idea that companies need to make money and making money means that sometimes you cannot, especially in fashion, right? That you you have to, as you said, like produce your, your clothes in, in Asia where it's cheap. Yeah. And, and you really don't want to do that, even if that means making less money. Can you tell me why and what goes through that, your mind? I mean, definitely. If I wouldn't use organic cotton or I would produce uh, in Asia or both of that, yeah. I would definitely make a lot more money. But I can choose now to do something proper and with fabric that is not polluting the environment and with an approach that is not polluting the environment. So I think it's the right thing to do. And I just would not feel comfortable producing another cheap item of clothing and Mm -hmm. um, pollute the environment more. And that's, yeah, it's as simple as that. Yeah, even if that means making less money. To be fair, I don't believe that. Absolutely, I make less money on each individual item, for sure, and Mm -hmm. a lot less. But I strongly believe that if I'm standing behind my values, 
in the long run this will pay off because people believe me and know what I'm standing for mm -hmm. so they will buy more from me than from another company that might produce cheaply and yeah. with a cheaper fabric. So I do believe that it pays off at one point. Yeah. And it's that mentality that changes the world and, and makes other companies uh, follow you because when they see that, wow, uh, everyone is buying Mint Girls, uh, then uh, they see, okay, they are doing something right. Uh, and the, one of the, that those things is being sustainable. So, yeah, it's really inspiring. By, by the way, why the name Mint Girls? Where, where did it come from? Um, so, in German, um, Mint is the abbreviation for STEM. So, ah. uh, in German, it's Mint. Yeah. And I wanted something that is easily recognizable, even if you don't know about STEM mm. or Mint. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's great. Uh, to be honest, I didn't even know the term STEM, which is a science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, right? Exactly. Eva, it was such such a nice conversation. It was such a pleasure to, to speak with you. I As a last question, I let's say that there's, especially for, for other women trying to become entrepreneur, what is your one advice for them? If you can give them a word now, what, what would it be? Don't be afraid and talk to people. Mm -hmm. Talk to them about your idea, about what you're going to do, about how you want to do it. Talk to other people that were in similar situations. You get so much back from that. And often people are afraid of talking about what they are planning to do because they're afraid that someone else will do it. Mm -hmm. And reaching out to others that were in a similar situation. It is incredible how much help and advice you get from people yeah. that you have never met before, that you don't know. And that are just willing to give you their insights and their experience and their knowledge. Yeah. And I think that is definitely something that men do more than women. Yeah. And if And if, why? Why? Why is that? What do you think is that? That men do more than women? I think women are more afraid of what others would think or how they would react. Yeah. I think there's this whole unconscious I need to figure it out. I need to do it on my own. I cannot ask yeah. for help. And I think men are a lot more bold in saying, hey, I, I'm doing this. Yeah. Uh, who can give me advice? Because this is also how men grew up, right? Like knowing that this was possible, uh, I guess. Often, uh, often, yes. Yeah. So, of course, that maybe for, for women might be a little bit more tricky because they are not used to this. So they have to make an extra effort. But it's an effort that is really uh worth it and uh and people like you have a i think you're a true inspiration for every entrepreneur really uh not only women but uh, not only women but men it's uh, was super a great pleasure uh speaking with you thank you very much for the invitation and i really had a lot of fun and i hope it helps one or the other and continue what you're doing Thiago. it's really really great if uh, you're a first time listener i highly recommend you for you to also check out the interview that i did with uh, irish uh is also a woman entrepreneur and if you like this interview you also might like this other one i'll link it in the description and um yeah, you can follow. I will also link uh, Mint Girls and everything from uh, uh, Eva's um, LinkedIn in the description of this episode. So you can just go and check it out and check uh, this amazing clothing. And this was another wannabe entrepreneur. See you tomorrow.